Hey everyone, welcome to episode 32 of the Middle Class Musician Podcast. My name is Andrew, I am your host, and uh, before we dive into today's episode with Charlie Lowell, we are going to just a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of sweeping the floors, a little bit of moving things around, and just seeing if you like the couch over there, or if you'd like it to be closer to the window. Basically, I am toying around with some formatting ideas of this podcast that you're listening to right now. And um, I'm just trying to explore different creative ways of presenting it and whether or not there's some things I could be doing better in the format and just in the content and, and all that. So as I'm exploring that, I also I want to hear from, from you all since there are uh, an increasing number of you listening. And um, occasionally I'll get emails from you and it's always great to hear uh from you and there's been a lot of just positive great encouraging emails and uh i appreciate all those and it helps me understand who is listening uh but there are a lot more of you out there listening than there are emails in my inbox from you so uh just in 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 pursuit of better understanding the audience that is already checking into this podcast i'd love to uh, get some emails so my my email is andrew at middleclassmusician.co in general i'd love to just hear your thoughts on the podcast but uh, more specifically uh, i'd love to know what is the number one thing you get out of this podcast or what is it that you'd like to get out of it because maybe it's something that you have kind of gotten out of it, but it doesn't fully get you there with the format or the way it's being presented. So I, I, I'd be curious what, like when you listen to this, what is it that you are listening for? And, uh, you know, is it the, is it conversations that you'd like to hear? Is it the music based conversations or is it, uh, more meaty, uh, content that you're looking for? Or is it a combination? Is it just my soothing, voice. Um, it could be one or many of those things, but it, whatever is is the driving factor when you decide to click on it, which I very much appreciate uh, you clicking on this podcast and then uh, consuming it with your ears. So again, it's andrew at middleclassmusician.co. And uh, pertaining to that as well, I've had, like I said, lots of positive emails from people, um, but I also want everyone out there to know that I'm 100% available to uh, dialogue with anyone who listens and has any questions or concerns about the podcast. And I'd much rather get those via email uh, than in reviews uh, on iTunes. I had uh, a two-star review a while ago that uh, the person said they'd listened for a long time and enjoyed the show, but one of the most recent episodes had swearing, uh, more excessive swearing. Uh, and the episode had said clean and it was not. And uh, I'm sorry about that. I did not um, really understand how, how to how to do that when I uploaded everything. I, I kind of was confused on what actually qualified as explicit versus clean. And I just kind of erred on the side of at, at when I first started, there was, I mean, the podcast didn't exist until it was up. So I kind of figured like I'd, no one's <laughs> listening at first and I just was winging it. And so I never got around to figure out exactly where that line was. So I'm sorry uh, if if you were thinking it was clean or listening with kids or anything, and you were shocked at any point to hear some uh, some some potty some potty mouth from myself or a guest. I like to let the guests kind of feel comfortable and just speak how they will. Um, but it's my job, of course, then to let all of you know uh, 
uh, whether or not there's things to be uh, to be avoided if you have, have kids or you just don't want to hear that. So, yeah, like I said, if you have things like that, I'd love to hear about them via email. And then if you email me and you're like, no, this guy still sucks and you uh, want to do the two star review, that is totally fine. I just uh, some of them can be avoided, uh, I think, solved really easily. And then you'll see now if you go through the feed, uh, it's a lot of uh, red explicit things next to episodes that have anything that might be more mature content. Um, the main thing I'm looking for in this is just to hear from you about, uh, like I said, the number one thing that you want to get out of or that you do get out of this podcast, why it is that you click on it, why you why you tune in. So that that is the end of that. I'm not going to do an ad this week for Nashville for Hire besides that little plug there uh, because I want to keep the focus on hearing from you all because I'd like to move things forward the format. And the sooner I hear from you all, the sooner I understand uh, more about... Uh, all you guys with with the ears out there. So um, now this week's episode is Charlie Lowell, who is uh, one of the founding members of the three-time Grammy-winning multi-platinum band Jars of Clay. If you uh, grew up in a Christian circle at all or listening to any kind of CCM music, you have 100% heard of these guys. They're like the, one of the monster acts in that space and very much beyond that space. They've had uh, songs that have crossed over into quote-unquote the mainstream. Uh, one of their songs, Flood, early on, uh, went, went, went back and forth and kind of expanded their fan base into more of that mainstream space. And we talk about that and talk about uh, kind of managing uh, how you present yourself when you're this Christian band, but you're also uh, breaking out to the mainstream area and how you do interviews. And it's just an interesting kind of uh, space to, to and unique place to, to, to speak from. Uh, but we talk all, all about all types of interesting things, uh, including what it's like to be on the road for 20 years and then come off the road uh, as the band has, has taken some time to be with their families and just take a chill after 20 years of being gone on and touring and, and recording their albums constantly. Um, and so it's kind of, he, he explains as, as a feeling of starting over kind of it's a fascinating uh thing where you you have 20 years of experience but you also feel like in some ways you're starting from from day one so we talk about reinventing yourself uh we talk about uh, the family dynamic of being on the road all the time uh talk about producing because that's what he does a lot of here we talk about some of his um working with uh sync and starting experiment with composing um we talk about his four silos i have my trinity of of activities that i i call my three main things that i pour time into he calls his his four silos he has one more is impressive but mine obviously has a better name because i mean you can't argue with the trinity not in a christian band at least uh we talk about what it's like transitioning from having like a band member identity to having more of a producer identity and kind of flying solo with that uh we talk about how the digital age affected in many ways the income of the band and how there was a very notable shift in how 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 much money comes in with the uh, change in the way that people consume, consume music. We talk about the philosophy of just saying yes and all, how there are books about the philosophies of just saying yes and then about the helpful philosophies of also just saying no and the nuance of that. We talk about the two main qualities he looks for when he's choosing people to work with. There is occasional some hammering uh, in the background. There's like never hammering in this office studio space that I've I rent from, but there was hammering that day, and so I, I did a lot of 
uh, editing maneuvers to try to make it as low and uh, non-noticeable as it, as it can be. But um, if you hear that, sorry about that. And uh, hopefully it doesn't uh, bug you too much. So anyways, let's jump right into Charlie Lowell. And if you want more information about him, just go to hollowhum.com. I've got that in the description. And I also have in the description my email uh, for you to email me things. But enough about my email. Hollowhum.com. Charlie Lowell. Episode coming at you. to the podcast. A brief introduction for anyone who doesn't know. You are a member of Jars of Clay. Yes. Have been for 20 plus years, mm-hmm. which is a long time, uh, which is uh, 20 years of touring experience, of, of recording. You guys have had three Grammys, your multi-platinum band, lots of impressive things. <laughs> um, and then uh, I like to give the, the guests a chance to fill in any gaps from that extremely vague uh intro and then maybe just a personal side it's easier for me to kind of give some of the accolades yep people never like this well some people like to talk about themselves it's harder <laughs> to talk about yourself it's true uh about the impressive thing so there are some of the impressives what's a what's a personal overview of yourself and yeah then jump in i mean that's certainly the bulk of my background i did spend 20 23 now years with the band full-time a lot of it on the road had a family along the way um, so I have a wife and three boys now that are home, which is part of the reason the band came off the road about three years ago. Yeah. Um, and since then, I spent a I spent about a year trying to not do music. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Working a tr- sort of a traditional job, my first one ever, really. Um, yeah, because you guys were young when the band kicked in. Right? Yeah, we met in college and dropped yeah. out. So that was kind oh, of wow. that until we were forty or so. Yeah. So then I realized I realized that the office work was not great, <laughs> and I really honestly found myself missing music. Yeah, and I just you hadn't had a chance to miss it until like that's true until, until that point. That's a something I realized was like when you're in it fully or with whether it be a relationship or anything like that. It's hard to know what you miss until you're yes you know until it's gone. Sense the yeah. old the or old at least partially song lyric. Gone. Yeah right. Yeah. So I came, um, essentially, the band owns a property near the fairgrounds, and I went up there one day and just said, I need to figure out how to make a corner of this a space I can go to and work in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, have been doing that for almost two years. So did they get that space, like, during what while you guys were, you know, touring full-time, or was that after? Yeah, we bought it about 10 years ago, and we were still on the road, and really used it for storage, I mean, storing our gear and our merch, yeah. and then we would rehearse there. And we did some songwriting there. And then over the years, did more and more studio work there. Okay. And now it's basically a almost full-time studio, right. and the downstairs is pretty open, like rehearsal floor. Yeah. And one of them does a, a, a barber shop in the basement. Yeah, our buddy Steve uh, is the handsomizer, so okay, he's, yeah. he's got this little pop-out side of the studio which was like our merch closet. He's got a barber chair in there, and he's cutting, great. cutting hair all day long. So that it's, is awesome. It's a fun little space. He found a non-music thing that, that he did. didn't drive him crazy. He did. And he still 
does quite a bit of music. So okay. I, I think he's got a cool little yin yang. Yeah, right. That is great. Um, for for anyone listening, if you hear occasional talking, this is the first interview I'm doing in my new uh, office space, which is usually relatively quiet um, office slash studio space. But they're doing uh, they had some flooding and now they're doing repairs. Of course, on the on the day where I'm I'm recording. <laughs> um, but if you hear stuff, then uh, that's why. And you can just enjoy the fact that there's productive things happening behind that's us right. and see the positive in that. Because I'll be able to see when I come here at night, as you saw when you walk down, it's like completely dark. This hallway down yeah, by the end, it is dark. And for some reason, we have like somebody here must be a part of a Halloween something. Yeah, I wondered. Yeah, <laughs> so we have a bunch of random Halloween like creepy decor around. Yeah, so that doesn't help if you come in and you're the only person in the building at night, and then you have this dark looming hallway. Yeah. Um. So I'm excited for that to not be a, a Halloween town. Anyways, so uh, talk a little bit about uh, post being busy, you know, road life and just setting up what you're doing now as far as music. uh, Yeah. Because a lot of it isn't jars of clay stuff. It's right. uh, So fill in that and then we can kind of go back um, and fill in, you know, where where you came from and all that. Yeah. So when I left the office job, it was kind of a marketing job. in in Nashville. In Nashville, yeah. yeah. Um, cool company and cool people, but just over time I realized this isn't where I'm at my best. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't see myself growing here. So I built this studio space out that's about the size of this room we're in right yeah. now, maybe a little bit bigger. Which um, is like for the podcast land. Yeah. What is this, like, like 10, 10 by 10 by 12? 10? Yeah, 10 by 12. 10 by 10. Yeah. I should know. I guess I ran it out. But yeah. anyways, yeah. But enough room for me and a collaborator, a co-writer um, to work in. And I didn't really have a major plan on what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't done much, hadn't done much production on my own in the past. The band had co-produced a lot of stuff. And we'd worked with some great producers. So I feel like I'd learned a lot, but I didn't have a lot of context to try it out Yeah, and uh, kind of learn that way. So, really, it just meant showing up, and I call it composing. You yeah. know, I might start with a piano idea, find a little muse, and just chase it until my brain was like mushy, and yeah, then go right. home, kind of yeah. go, okay, I'll come back tomorrow and see if I like it, yeah, or maybe work on it some more. And then eventually, I started bringing in co-writers because I don't find myself by my when I'm by myself, I don't. Um, necessarily write lyrics and melody. Okay. I'm more of like a track or composition guy. And then I love working with um, singers and co-writers that yeah. have that ability to just like riff on a mood or an idea. Mm-hmm. And then we and then we kind of get, you know, in the zone together and figure yeah, out sure. something. And that's been the majority. So, so I did that and I started calling that Hollow Hum, yep. which is sort of my producer artist name. Um, Where did the name come from? I just was playing around with a lot of names. I love naming things, and I like words and consonants and yeah. poetry. So I um, I had a bunch of different ones, and my wife, that one, she was like, ooh. Yeah. That's cool. I, like, that has a ring to it, like the yeah. two H's. And, yep. Um, so I stuck with that one. And it's been fun, and it's and it's very much. Uh, you won't see like hollow hum performing per se, right? You know, and I'm I've always kind of been more of a background guy anyway, 
which made band life um, real comfortable for me. Yeah. But I love doing features with vocalists and singers and other writers. Um, and then, you know, that that's sort of one one of my four silos yeah. that I do. Um, probably not unlike yourself, Andrew. So you have four silos. I call mine, I have the three, the Trinity. I have three, three pillars or whatever. Yeah. I, four, I like that. Four yeah. silos. Yeah. So I'll do sessions for other people, which I love and it's good money right on the spot. Yeah. It's, you know, to kind of have to bring that open-minded creative spirit and really mm-hmm. serve. Um, I really like that idea of serving someone else's song and vision and yeah. finding the best way to bring what I'm good at in a way that really makes them look even better. Yeah, sure. Um, which I think is a lot of production as well, producing. Yeah, totally. So Hollow Hum Sessions, I've done some composition for TV and short film. Um, that feels like a different silo Yeah. to me. And then some songwriting, I guess, would be the fourth silo right and then jars of clay and then jars of clay which yeah which that's um it was the only silo um and it was a big silo and it was a fun silo i'm i you know i i don't really have any regrets aside from the fact that it it went on so long yeah you know that by the time we sort of gave ourselves permission to step down or at least not tour all the time yeah um Again, you, we kind of realized when we stopped that it was like, oh, because you don't know what else you can do mm-hmm. while you're doing this other thing. But we knew that we'd really stretched our families pretty thin right. by leaving almost every week for half a week or more. And um, my older boys are twins, and they're now 17. So they were 14 when I came off the road. Yeah. So, you know, just feeling that, like, how long can I sort of drag this, drag my family along with me on this journey. Um, And all the other guys in the band had, you know, similar but unique to them sort of realizations and um, needs at home. Mm -hmm. So it's all in all, it's been scary. I'll tell you what's been scary is to start doing music on my own apart from the band because my identity had been wrapped up as one of four for 20 years. And you learn to kind of figure out what your voice and your, like, what muscles you're best at. Yeah. And you let the other guys do the ones they're good at. Right. So, like, I don't have to do that one because he's going to kill it. Right, right. You know, and then I'm, I'm like, overdeveloped in this one area or whatever. Yeah, did you find a gap between you, I imagine, especially with doing it that long, that you probably were, like, you knew your role and you were you were better than you needed to be to do your exact role. And so you probably felt like I can do something, you know, I can, I could be fully producing and doing this, but then when you get out of it and you lose all the other pieces, you probably then found there was still a gap between like being over prepared for one role. Yeah. And like, all of a sudden you're like, I'm a little maybe underprepared for yeah. like the full, full experience. I think I even called it atrophy. Okay. Yeah. Because you just don't have to do certain things for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you're around them, like you see other people doing them and you admire the way they do them, but there's nothing like just doing it yourself. Yeah. You know? Totally. So that was a, that was one of the probably scarier parts of saying, okay, I, I need to figure out how to do music on my own. Yeah. And, uh, and just kind of dive in regardless of the uncertainties. Yeah. Of it. Which is easier when you're like a kid probably with no 
reputation or expectations yeah uh, or than coming off of like a high professional band that has a reputation and then trying to like yeah. start from that level yeah with your own stuff i would imagine would be more and mouths to feed and yeah, mortgages right, right. and all these yeah. other things that it, that were sort of more or less taken care of for a while yeah you know? right for sure um were you able to maintain uh as the band then like kind of cuts down or is it able to does it keep in um like a uh, financial flow that like you guys can count on at all or is it kind of like it feeds you when you feed it kind of situation yeah it's more of the latter okay um i mean we kind of you know and as the business got um what's the word (laughs) as the business changed over the past decade with digital music yep um because when we started i think we printed cassettes and cds yep right right now people are like doing cassettes again ironically right but, um, yeah, about four or five years ago, I think, we had the hard meeting with our business manager, and it was like, okay, we can't keep... I mean, we salaried ourselves for 18 years. Yeah, right. As well as a crew for a lot of that. Yeah. So that's amazing for most any band to be able to do. But that that was a hard day when it, you know I had to go home and tell my wife, like, salaries are going down yeah. by two-thirds or whatever. Yeah, right. You know, and so... But that I think that was part of the weaning mm-hmm. that we needed to yeah. to because if you're in something that's working and it's paying you, you're not gonna walk away from yeah, it. Yeah, it's, like, it's way harder. You to like get the out. guys yeah. in your band. People come out and like the songs. Yeah, why stop? Right. So I think that pinched us, you yeah, know, to the sure. point where it was like, okay, the combination of of sort of obstacles here mm-hmm. is um, I can't ignore it any longer. Right. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, when we go do a jar show, which we do about four times a year, and it's super fun. We pick, we're careful to pick the ones we do. Yeah. And we make sure that, that we're going to come home with a little bit of money that makes it worth it to one leave right. and, and sort of, you know, jump back into that world. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine the shows themselves are probably extra, for the most part, enjoyable from the standpoint of like, because it's the only, you know, you get to scratch that itch. Yeah. And it doesn't get. You don't get bored of it by That's the time right. the show's done. You know, you're yeah. not hitting that wall. Yeah, I call um, it like a hobby band. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's all the it's all the good parts about being in a band. Yeah. Minus the like drudgery and right. travel and Do you have to like do a decent amount of rehearsing beforehand? Not necessarily for because I think for the audience most of the time it's like it's gonna like be a plateau where where mm-hmm. like a a cutoff point where people will notice, but imagine as a band from 20 years of like full time, you'd have everything to this like tight point where like if you do a one off and you haven't like put it all together, you'd probably would feel like chaotic. Um, yeah. If you haven't had a chance to go over, or maybe it's like so muscle memory because you've done so long that you don't need that. It is. So it depends on what we're doing. We, we did one full band show. So like, Jars is essentially four guys, but mm-hmm. that's not a rhythm section. Right. That's like piano, two guitars, and a vocalist. Right. So if we go out and do uh, an acoustic show, which our singer has this kind of scaled-down stand-up kit, so there is some some rhythm and dynamic yeah. built into that. But if we go out as a foursome, we don't rehearse. Gotcha. Um, and, and there's so much, like you said, muscle memory and flexibility there yeah. that we can take some requests or go, Hey man, I was just talking to this guy about his son. Let's do the song boys. Yeah. You know, like let's kind of custom tweak the set 
because it's probably kind of an intimate show anyway. Right. And that that makes it even more special. But we did have a full band, six piece show this summer, mm-hmm. and so we we you know called up a drummer and bass player friend. Yeah. Did a rehearsal and kind of made it official. Right. Like, made it a, a thing. like a real band. Was would that do. the uh, Soul Fest one? <laughs> yeah, that was okay, that festival. Cool. Yeah. That's the. Uh, that's in New Hampshire, in Guilford, New Hampshire, yep. as if it's still in the same spot. That's one. That was like the the music festival I went to as a kid. We, uh, yeah, there was completely the the space, the music space that I grew up in. It's cool. Um, so that was. I remember talking to you. We met through uh, the company we both have worked with, Sword and Noise. Yeah. Um, and and that was uh, funny to hear because you were saying the same kind of thing. Like you guys don't do many shows, and yep. one of the only ones is Soul Fest. And it's like that was. That was my own show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's cool. Let's go back to uh, just for sake of like setting it up as far as context, uh, just how the band kind of kicked in and your personal life, I guess, leading up and personally and musical life leading up to, you know, mm-hmm. the band being a thing that, you know, that you had the musical capabilities to be a part of. And then, you know, yeah. how it got going from there. So maybe you're you know, a brief synopsis of your upbringing. Childhood music, music ambitions. Yeah. So I was raised, um, in Western New York, Mm -hmm. uh, Rochester, New York, um, which is sort of a music town in its own way. They've got Eastman music, which is very, very high level, um, classical conservatory. And I did take classical piano for 12 or 13 years all the way into college. And did some saxophone for a while. Oh. Um, so I was kind of a band guy, but... Like in but, band, in high school, that kind of path. Yeah, of we it. didn't yeah. have a strong band, but I did I did do some, like, you know, sax lessons and then jazz band. Okay. And then, I mean, I think the first band I was in was an instrumental band where I played the lead melodies on my saxophone, mm-hmm. if you can imagine mm. it sounds, how awesome yeah. that would be. <laughs> Basically yeah. Muzak, like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then I, then I started a band in high school with my buddy Matt Odemark, who's Jar's bandmate and now shares the studio that I work in. Okay, yeah. Um, we were in a band together where I sung lead vocals and played keyboards at the same time. Okay, nice. So I did that for a little bit, and then um, so I was taking classical piano, but I was also Learning to play by ear, yeah, and writing a little bit, and listening to tons of British new wave mm-hmm. and synth pop, and like Crowded House was kind of my favorite. They're not really British new wave, but they were the band that I I felt like this is like the treasure that I discovered. Yeah, you know, right. I still love discovering stuff, but that was the first one, um, and still a favorite of mine now. Which is kind of so funny. In the sense of, like, I grew up listening to pretty mostly CCM Christian music. Uh And so it wasn't that we couldn't listen to anything else. Well, there were limits on, like, it was a process to bring in new new songs for when we were younger, younger. And the funny thing is is that the people who who were the safe people who were playing that music were not influenced by that music That's they right. were the you know they had, you guys had to go out into the dangerous world of yeah of, of the heathen music 
pull from that and then create the music that reappropriate it. That was you know <laughs> that's yeah. right. And and not not in like even in a negative way, just in a funny way, more towards the rules of families that are like trying to keep that you know safe. Yeah. Whatever it's just that filter it. it really, yeah, it's a filtering process. Yeah, but it's it's funny to like you guys go out and like do, you know learn yeah. my music, but then you know. You can come back and and we'll and then you be safe and we'll, and yeah. we'll let our kids listen to you. Totally, it's just funny because uh, it's yeah my it wasn't what I was uh, I wasn't exposed to like the Beatles and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Like okay. Anyways, continue. So on. I I I was I was I could listen to I won't say whatever I wanted, but it was pretty loose. Yeah, sure. Leash on what I could listen to. But I chose to listen to some Christian music at the same time. So yeah. it was like, I might have been listening to like Whiteheart or Michael W. Smith, but I was also really into The Cure and The Smiths. Yeah, yeah. So and, you're in a nice combo. Yeah. So I had this sort of, um, in some ways it was probably like, oh, we, we don't need to get into spirituality. But I think in some ways it was a reflection of my spirituality that yeah. I had trouble integrating with my real life. It was sure. kind of like, well, this is youth group me and this is like out in the world me. Yeah. You know? Totally. Which can be a little dangerous. And probably you had the potential to carry that through most of your life because you had a, you know, your job yeah. still had its own space. Yeah. That was very much sort like this is a Christian space. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, I imagine yeah. that was probably like a, a give and take for and learning how to do that for most of your life. Yep. Yeah, and and you can you're welcome to dive into anything on on this show. It's it's music, but if if you have to explain a point through, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm not going to be like, hey, hey, off topic. Yeah, yeah. you have a buzzer over yeah, there, right. or a horn, or something. I'll just flick you. I'll reach across. <laughs> okay. It's a far reach, but you'll know it's coming. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, so so that's what you're listening to. You're pulling from both of those, mm-hmm. and that's high school. That was high school. Okay. And the one time I remember my mom coming up, and she was concerned about my my musical intake was. Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. I was remembering this because they just came through they town. Just town yeah. Every I felt like everyone except for me was yep. at the show. I heard a bunch of people talking about yeah. it. I wasn't there, so the so same. it was their uh, what uh, music for the masses mm-hmm. was like eighty seven. I think. Okay. And there was a song called "Strange Love," "Strange Highs," and "Strange Lows." Mm-hmm. That's where my love goes. That's how my love goes. And my mom came in. She sat down with me on my, on my bedroom floor, and she said can we read through some of these lyrics? (laughs) And, you know, I didn't, I don't think I felt condemned by her, but like she's listening and she's concerned. Yeah. Right. You know, and it was, it's all, you know, it's mostly caring. Yeah. Right. Right. It's parents. It's anything that I felt was like too tight on me growing up was a hundred percent from caring. It wasn't not from, there was no malicious ever. Yeah. Yeah, It was, you know, always from a good place. Yeah. Some of the places may have been when we look back and we talk about it with, you know, my parents, we, we go, well, we probably could have done this different, Yeah. but it was, you know, at least from, from my, I can't speak for every parent, but I know for my parents, it was always from uh, a place of love and like trying to do the best thing for their kids. Totally. And I now do it for my kids. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, you want to figure out where that line is, mm-hmm. and then make sure it's not you're not too far over the line on either side, probably yeah. for yeah. for helping them. Yep. Um, did you did they find did you find things you didn't like in that specific record? Did you have to yeah discontinue? Yeah, but we didn't like. I don't think we threw it out or burned it or anything. I think it was just kind of like checking in, like yeah, let's you know know that mom's 
concerned mm-hmm. that she's listening. Right. And I think I probably had a tendency to like play the really clean stuff when I was like, that was the dualistic thing. It was yeah. like when I'm with my parents or we're in the car, like I'm going to play like Michael W. Smith or something right. like that, you know? And then when I'm in Which my room. Liked. It wasn't fake. It yeah, was just, you were totally. just curating. Yeah, I was kind of situation. like playing to my audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I was in my room, I could get out Bauhaus or something right. like, kind of like, whoa. Yeah. So. Gotcha. That's how it went. So those influences are all culminating in your high school experience and centralized in your I get keyboard playing. It yeah. sounds like piano playing. Yeah. And then wow, where did you end up going to school? So I visited a couple schools. I did visit some conservatories in New York that were very intimidating and not just didn't feel like mm-hmm. home to me. Yeah. And then my father and I went out to this little liberal arts school in the cornfields of Illinois called Greenville College. Okay. It's about an hour from St. Louis. And my my father had told me that my grandfather went there for a year or two. Yeah. Um, as a student, when he was a student. And so I was like, wow, well, that's interesting. And I saw an ad for their uh, record, studio recording program in a magazine. Yeah. And so that's what I was interested in. And I loved it. I mean, it was small enough to feel like um, I can branch out here. I can make some friends. It's not yeah. a huge place that I'm going to get lost in. And I really felt like I can explore what I want to do musically. And, you know, I met, honestly, my first visit there, I met this kid named Matt Brownlowy, mm-hmm. who's a producer and um, great, great music guy in town. We were roommates for our first year or two. Okay. Um, he ended up going there, too. He was from Kansas. So, you know, we both came from these random places. Yeah. And then also that year, met. Dan Hesseltine, who would become the singer for Jars. Okay. And then the following year, Stephen Mason, who's guitar player. So, yeah. And the coolest part was that they had, at the time, a pretty modern recording studio. And it didn't get used that often. Yeah. Um, Just because it's a smaller school or, you know, yeah. not enough people in the major. Yeah, not a ton of competition for it. Um, I mean, it would get blocked out during the day, but like, we were willing to pull an all-nighter, yeah, you know, three times a month or whatever. And so we really took advantage of that, started writing songs um, together our second year, started calling ourselves Jars of Clay. Mm-hmm. Which then, was that name, anything specific that like, was yeah. like, this is the one? We had a couple names. Most of them were jokes because that's mm-hmm. just way easier, right? <laughs> that's how you name a band. Yeah. That's right. Um. But I had, yeah, it references a verse in the Bible that I had kind of been captivated by in high school. Yeah. Um, and it's essentially, it's this image of a jar of clay representing mankind's frailty. Yep. You know, and yet you put like precious things in in clay jars, yeah. even though they're vulnerable and they, sure. could, they could crack. So I liked sort of the the poetic imagery of that yeah. and um then the songs we were writing were real like um you know we were blending sampled loops with acoustic guitars and accordions mm-hmm. so it was kind of this mashup of like um edm which we called rave at the time it was yeah. like rave meets like the indigo girls okay which yeah. were that was our influences yeah it's like moby and the indigo girls <laughs> and then so how do we put those flavors together and make it compelling yeah and then write about things that were a little nitty gritty and kind of mm-hmm. honest and um, try and make some bold statements. Yeah. And be, you know, be be 
honest humans in our songs. So that was kind of the like vision out of the gate yeah. for the band as we were as as young and sort of inexperienced as we were. Right, right. As much as you can have a vision at that point. Right. That isn't just what happens by default and you know, in yeah. a lot of ways when you're that age, you're yeah. just kinda of doing what feels like you're supposed to. Yeah. Um when I my uh grandparents on my mom's side are not a huge fan of like when we were growing up, it, you know, there's certain sects of, of of Christians who were not huge fans of like rock and roll music, sure, and like kind of like the beats, and you know, because it was kind of equated with dancing and yeah. sexuality, evil and things, stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so in my brain, then because it, it was all I knew, like we would play at church. My dad was a pastor, and we'd play like more contemporary CCM, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it would be considered pop rock, jars of clay, land music Mm -hmm. and so in my head it was like revolutionary and like we were fixing music Uh because we were playing the old hymns it was no like you know include the old it was just like we're we're fixing it it's a new day this is like the magic of two guitars bass keys drum like that's it and then i remember one day realizing like it was not it was it there was nothing like there was nothing revolutionary about it like there was (laughs) there's interest in like how music progresses but in my brain it was like the the solution to music it wasn't like here's another cool iteration of music yeah um yeah yeah. and and that was just because it was it was yeah it was young and you're just kind of following a path Mm -hmm. thinking like you're not thinking how do we take all these influences it was like what is my one influence and you know yeah here it is yeah and a little bit of pushing away from the old just because i you know the rebellion spirit i guess whatever yep Um, so then you guys, what, how long did it take for like things to happen for the band for the sake, you know, for you to be able to justify dropping out of school? Man, it was quick. So by the end of that second year, we had a CD pressed with nine songs, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sent a few songs down to Nashville because there was a new, new artist competition, gospel music spotlight, it was called. Mm. We sent three songs down just wanting some, I'm using air quotes, professional mm-hmm. opinions right. about our music. Yeah. And really, I mean, honestly didn't see it going further than like our 10 friends at school that would like come see us play at the coffee house. Yeah, right. And uh, the feedback we got was, we've been selected to come and perform um, two months from now and to play at our spotlight competition. Oh, cool. With, you know, nine other acts. Yeah. So we we're like, amazing. Yeah. Like, I guess they liked it. I guess we made it. We're going to Nashville. (laughs) So we went down. We we didn't really play out much. We were more of like a studio band, which is why we didn't have a drummer. We used loops, and Stephen would play bass and, uh, you know, take his acoustic off for half an hour, play some bass. Um, We didn't really use any electrics at that point, and I used like lush Korg kind of synth sounds and some, some piano and eventually some organ. But, um... We came down and played this showcase at 328 Performance Hall. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that one, so yeah. it must not be around That's anymore. That's an old one. And we ended up winning this oh, competition. Wow. So yeah. it was crazy. And went back up to school to finish out the year, which we had like a month left. And labels were calling our dorm floor. We didn't have cell phones then either. <laughs> so remember, this is the dark ages. Yeah, so. right. Labels were calling our dorm floor, like, hey, what's the plan? When are you coming back? We'd love to take you to lunch, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, 
what's going on? Yeah. Like, so we we went, we came down for the summer after our sophomore year, and we told our parents, we're going down to Nashville to see, to look into the interest and see what's yeah might be waiting for us. If it's nothing, we'll go back in the fall. Yeah. But we're we're sort of we're not gonna register for classes yet. Yeah, we're tentatively yeah. like hit and pause. Yeah. And oddly all of our parents were pretty okay with that. That's great. At least at least that's the memory. <laughs> yeah. And uh and obviously didn't go back. Yeah. Um met. So did you how long did you end up signing a deal like that summer? I think it was closer to Christmas. Yeah. Because well, yeah. Yeah, it just took a while. We mm-hmm. met we met with a bunch of people and ended up going with this pretty small independent label um, called Essential Records. Okay. This was in 94. Um, and they just had a couple acts, but the guy that started it really liked what we were doing, really gave us, like, a super long leash. Yeah. He was not editing lyrics or... You know, wasn't mess, pulling messing with no, no, he wasn't <laughs> wasn't concerned about the language. <laughs> um, and then they pretty quickly got bought out by um, what became Provident Music, and okay. then Sony bought. So it was you know it, it climbed up. Yeah, it became this big system that went up to New York. Gotcha. Eventually, but um, did it become more um, uh, restrictive as it as it got attached to bigger and bigger things? A little bit. Yeah. There was a you know there were more conversations with the marketing team about the color of the album yeah. and the image on the album and the sing a lot a lot of talk about the radio single because radio yeah. is such a important yet tough game mm-hmm. and you know I think we felt a little bit like hey we know what we're doing yeah. We're jars of clay. Yeah, we we got we got the platinum record. Remember, remember yeah, right. flood, you know. And we're like, <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was sort of the extent of it. Was like a lot of the pressure on the single, sure, and then the video Classic label then. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. So then, um, that goes on. Like, you get signed, which as a college student, mm-hmm. students dropping out of school, that's like you know you've made it. It, yeah. From that standpoint, what, what where does the journey go as far as you know uh, from that point to like you know being a sustainable mm-hmm. you know income and, and obviously you guys are lasted twenty years of being uh, you know full time band members that are making salaries so it's a very mm-hmm. successful band from that and from awards and from sales yeah. all that so how do you get to you know to that point yeah and how fast does that come yeah so we. Signed the deal, end of, I guess that was it, end of 93. And then we went in the studio pretty early in the new year. Yeah. And we recut most of it, sort of just retracted it with better mics yeah. and had it mixed. Um, a couple of the songs we took stems from college and just had them mixed. Gotcha. Didn't, didn't do much to them. Um, and then we added Flood and one other track, Worlds, mm-hmm. of, Worlds Apart, which became kind of a fan favorite over the years. So and we made Flood it... Flood uh, was like the breakout, right? Yeah. So that was first sec, for, that was first album then? Yes, first okay, record, yeah. first single. Wow. Um, which we didn't... That was another funny label exchange, because they said, we're good Flood, and we are like, that sounds nothing like the rest of the record. Yeah. Like, that song is kind of like... 
a little bit of a different thing yeah. from like the whole rest of the record. And we're like, people are going to totally get the wrong impression about us <laughs> and think that it's all going to sound like Flood. And right. it's not. It's this like coffee shop, non-angsty, like thoughtful. Yeah, right. Kind of pretty and sweet songs. And That's so we funny. really fought it. We were like, we're not feeling it. Yeah. You know, but we were like, they're like, you don't have anything yet. Yeah, right. Just to stand on. So they put out Flood and it did, I think it did okay on Christian radio. And then, but we were such a new band. And this was right after grunge, kind of, people got tired of grunge and it mm-hmm. went away. And so, man, something about the timing of like, super strummy acoustic guitars and a little bit of angst and and passion, but like, I guess time was just ripe for that sort of fresh, you know, and this was pre Alanis, I think. So like using loops was kind of like, what's the sound? Um, Something's different about this. Something a little different and fresh. And, and so before we really got pegged as like Christian band, Main, a few mainstream stations picked it up yeah, and um, started spinning it. And that's when it got real crazy. And gotcha. that, But that was like a year after, less than a year after the album released. Yeah. So it was quick. I mean, yeah, as yeah. soon as we cut the record, before it even came out, our label put us on a spring and fall tour with PFR okay. as this trio from Minneapolis. Great. They're great first band to tour with. Taught us a ton, treated us really kindly. Nice. Um, and then after that, the flood kind of popped. Yeah. And then we were opening for Michael W. Smith, but but in the afternoons we were visiting the Modern Rock radio station. Okay. In, in that town. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was talk about duality and yeah. like and lingo like, probably. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah. Like you're going into, um, what was the. Atlanta rock station, 99X in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about the Michael W. Smith show tonight. Gotcha. And, don't, or, and if you tell them where you're playing, it's going to sound weird because you're you're on your first single. You're not going to play, you know. Whatever the big. Yeah, yeah, Atlanta's big arena. Right. So it's super tricky. That um, is funny. So to, that was in it. Like, was that a pretty, like, prominent thing in your brains? Like, because like like we were saying before, with musical influences, sometimes you're naive to the ideas that things can be different. Yeah. So you could kind of come into that and just be like, oh yeah, Michael, blah blah, blah yeah, and miss the nuance, or you could like, were you guys pretty aware and like trying to kind of again play to your audience pretty hard on both sides? I remember being aware of it. Yeah. I also remember though that we weren't we weren't trying to hide anything. Yeah. And we really believed like to just go in and be ourselves and like love on people like talk about the stone temple pilots because yeah, their yeah. new record was super rad yeah and the radio station was playing it so like be just be relevant and like talk about the music we loved was yeah. like all we needed to do right you know and but then fans started calling in to 99x and saying you're playing jars of clay do you know they're a christian band and and then uh, it started getting weird and the fans probably are more excited about that yeah than uh than you guys are in the sense of like you're just trying to do your music yeah. and find a place for it. Yeah. But I remember as a like Christian music fan growing up, there was like a zest for like, oh, Reliant K's been played on the radio, but yeah. they're also like Christian, which is exciting, right? You and know? so you're trying to like tell the world. Yeah. Uh, and as a band, you might be like, we're just you're like 
Yes, be cool, be like, cool. Be cool. Yeah. <laughs> We're just trying to get our music out there also. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's other aspects of what we're doing here as well. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So then, um, speaking of the Flood song, do you get, do you know Pete Holmes' podcast? Yeah. Uh, you made it weird? Yes. Did you guys, I'm assuming this would have all gone through you guys, but the Crashing Show? Yes. You guys were on that? Yeah. It's kind of like the... Like the the music that he grew up in the CCM world, yeah. And like flashback to that, was that something you guys had to sign off on? I'm assuming. Yeah, it came through. It it came through our publishing company, the publisher for Flood, at least, like a while ago. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was like almost two years ago. Yeah. And it was before I knew Pete Holmes, knew of him, and so it came through. And it you know because it's it's hard to read. Uh, like a brief yeah, on paper, right. and kind of go. It sounds, it sounds really like negative. Like it sounds like yeah, they're gonna pay us a little money to like really pick on us. Yeah, right, right, and sort of bully us around a little bit yeah. for being like the Christian band from the nineties. Right. So it's kind of like, is that what it felt like post? Not really. Like, I mean, not- did you see it in like a playful like? This is what an experience was to some people. Yeah, but it, you know, like it was like a reference. Yeah, like, yeah. like we're the one, we're the reference they picked. Yeah, not because which is kind of crazy. They didn't like us, but because they did. Right. You know. Yeah, because that was their, uh, you know, pinnacle of the music they were into. At yeah. That phase in their life. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah, it is like a it's a double edged sword in a way. It is. Yeah. But I was like, I was like, I was glad that it was on there because I knew that you guys had to approve it and I was like it's nice that they could see both sides of yeah of the sword in that sense yeah of like take the flattery for what it is Mm -hmm. as well of like that's a there's only a handful of people that could possibly even Mm -hmm. be that reference yeah um, unless it was just like a song that like nobody knew yeah that one person liked that when they were younger or whatever Um, but I was just curious because I was, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sure that went through and and and, and had to be a decision that was made based yeah. off like, what are the pros and cons? Totally. Here? And we hadn't had licensing in quite a while. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, you know, for being around that long, we didn't, we never had a ton of licensing. Mm-hmm. We tried, like we did films for movies or songs for films. Yeah. And uh, I feel like we were active in those conversations. But I mean, you and I both know that. Yeah. That side of the business enough to know it's. It's a tough one to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can and, go a lot um, of ways. Yeah, and we weren't we weren't making music just for soundtracks and right. films. You yeah, know, we were, and you were being successful in the other avenues. Right, so you didn't have to be like, we need to get this rolling. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So it's fun when that when that works out and you get paid a little bit of money. Yeah, right. And honestly, the coolest part for me with the Pete Holmes thing was seeing Twitter the next day. Oh yeah, because people were like. That made my night. Like, oh, like hearing you reference jars and the song at the end of the because they know probably were just that you're in on it too. Almost, hopefully, like the fans are like, oh, like it's kind of like a group joke. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, that's awkward. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's cool. They that got is, a great response. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Then, and it was a double. Like they played it during the credits and they played it twice. The, yeah. The thing so it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was. I think was they funny. only paid us once, but. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, double exposure, double I guess. Pay. Find some, yeah, that's some true. way to make it nice. That's it. Um, cool. So then, and and then from there, it's like you got. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to go through every stage of the band. We, mm-hmm. We're going to catch up to kind of the 
the day-to-day i guess one of the things i like to ask is 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 day-to-day and i'd be curious to hear kind of um one your day-to-day now in your post you know full-time band mm-hmm. life and then also for people who are trying to look into like what's it like to be on the road full-time yeah what was a day-to-day and of course you're taking like a combination because days you know it's it's different every day yeah for both sides um but yeah, it's just kind of what was it, what's the day to day now nowadays kind of like in general, and what was the day to day like when you were you know full time band yeah uh, life yeah I'll start with full time band life. I enjoyed a lot of it. Like I, I really enjoyed the social elements. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the travel for the most part, though it got old. Yeah, like yeah. anything does. Um. Loved meeting people around the show. Like I really, I really enjoyed connecting with fans and yeah. knowing people's names when they came to their fourth show because we'd met them a couple times. Yeah, and, um, getting to know other bands that we got to pick to come open for us. Um, loved all that. The hard parts for me, a was being away from family. Right. Um, not having a lot of personal space. Yeah. And then that pretty much disappears all the, even when you're at a successful point. Totally. You, yeah. Your personal space is a bunk. Yeah. Or you can go for a run. Yeah. And right. like clear your head or yeah. get away from your noisy guitar player or whatever, right. you know? Yeah. Um, but the days, I mean, a lot of the years we had crew, so we weren't setting up our own gear, which mm-hmm. is so great. Um, but the days are so long. There's so much sort of mindless and that's probably a regret you know if I had to kind of go man I wish I would have like found a a side hustle yeah the internet though totally you know that was it was a lot harder to find like a yeah a side thing that would at least be profitable until the last few years you Mm -hmm. couldn't like sit on your bus and make music on your laptop go to Starbucks yeah and work on a you know a website or something but even like running like yeah just things that are like good for your brain and work out the like feeling like man my wife's really struggling at home i have twin babies and i'm gone for three weeks like some pretty rough seasons to um that could have used to to endure yeah right yeah once or twice i waved my white flag and got a buddy to come out and fill in for me you know obviously like when babies are born stuff yeah right but um you know whether it was to attend to my marriage and really like um just step off the road for for a few days or a week or two and like have some space to even be able to like start dealing with stuff yeah um those are the harder things and i do think there's something about the road especially when you're on a bus and you've got a crew that sort of prolongs the adolescent kind of lunch shows up when i come into catering my yeah. food's ready for me. A bunch of moms, kind of, that are still taking care of all your yeah. needs. Yeah. Yeah. Keyboard's plugged in. Yeah. Somebody else took it to get repaired. Yeah. My road manager tells me when my meet and greet is. Yeah, you still have full-time, all the parent things. Yeah. When you can go to your friend's house, when you're going to school, when the bus is coming. Yep. Yeah. You even get allowance if you're lucky and there's per diem. <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah, like, for a little while, we're getting 30 bucks a day for food, and yeah. all your food's provided for you. Yeah. So you're just, like, coming home with, like, 900 bucks cash. Yeah, of allowance. Not taxed. Allowance, yeah, yeah, that you're like, sweet, hey, honey, <laughs> let's go to a B&B yeah. this weekend. Yeah, right. So those are some of the ups and downs. And, you know, we had 
the last few years we did it, we had one front of house guy. Yeah. And we were setting up all our own gear, patch on our own stage, setting up merch, training the volunteers. Okay, yeah. Doing a meet and greet, tearing down after, driving to the next gig. So like yeah. it was almost like this backwards. The mm-hmm. life of the band flipped. Yeah. Because we did nothing really to like shoot out of a cannon on our first record. Yeah. And and then you platinum tour buses crew. Yeah. You know, I had a real B three organ, a real Rhodes, yeah. a Whirly, a synth. Guitar player had like two Leslies for his guitar. Yeah. Like kind of living living the dream. Right off the bat. As it were having to chug it. And then when we're 37, 38 years old with kids at home, we're mm-hmm. like driving the van through the night and like setting up our own gear and yeah. trying to be awake for fans at 11.30 after the show. Yeah, so it was, right. It was kind of, it's funny now. Yeah. It was hard then. It wasn't funny then. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, the nice thing about doing that when you're a kid is one, just naturally your body's got a lot more energy. Yeah. And you also don't have like a, a family that you're emotionally. That's right. Trying to pour into from a thousand miles away, yeah, uh, and you can't. That's a whole new, just yeah, blessing and weight. Yeah, I am speaking from my hypothetical at this point, but yeah. just no, from right. being in a relationship, you're when you travel and you're in a romantic relationship, it is not the same as when you're single and you're kind of like, well, now my world is here. Yeah, but then when you're got something else, you have your world split in two places. Yep. And you probably, it, with kids, it's the world is weighted even stronger mm-hmm. from wherever you're not, yep. which is, I imagine, tough. Yeah. How did you, um, are you, uh, would you con- consider yourself like introverted or extroverted? I'm kind spectrum? of on the line. Okay. Somewhere in the middle. Like I'll, um, I like having some of my own space. Yeah. But if I get too much, I just kind of end up doing stupid things. Yeah. yeah <laughs> or like wasting sure. time. Right. So it's like, I need people around to like check in and like. Yeah, you to know, motivate you to stay productive and until connected. people check in. Kind yeah. Of. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you find, like, on the road then, because it is so uh, crammed, even in good situations, mm-hmm. uh, what, did you feel like you had to, like, go on walks to, like, get that, like you were saying with running, like, was that a, a, an emotional, like, refill time of, like, I... Because mm-hmm. you don't... It doesn't come naturally to get alone time if you're on the road. Right. You got to fight for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, the iPod was so great when it came out. Oh, like, I yeah. can still, that first, the thick one with the wheel yeah. and, you know, 4,000 songs or whatever. Oh, I freaking love yeah. that thing. And because we had bunks. Right. So even just laying in your bunk, like, and you have an spinning excuse through the to iPod. Disappear for a little bit. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All of my music for my life is right in here. In my pocket. In my hands. Yeah, in my good. pocket. Um, so then uh, bring us to a day-to-day nowadays. Yeah. Like, what's the, uh, you know, now that you're more in the freelance mm-hmm. producer role, what's that kind of looking like? Yeah. So depending on if I have a session or if I have a co-write or if I have sort of a free day to maybe compose or yeah. look for some musical muses, as mm-hmm. I call them, um, I get up with my kids at 7-ish, maybe make a little breakfast for my wife and I. She works as well, freelance, mm-hmm. so she's a r- real estate agent and interior designer. Okay. So, you know, our weeks are super, like, um, flex- we, we both have to flex a bit, you yeah. know, like, I'll, if I don't have a really solid day's work, I might go home at 3.30 for 
my eight-year-old's bus. Yeah, sure. And do some stuff at home. Gotcha. And hang with him. But, um, but yeah, I usually get to my studio around 10 and work until either my brain is mush. Yeah. Because I can't, I find that I can't, especially if I'm alone, I can't work like an eight-hour day if I'm, if I'm composing or producing and doing like real involved yeah, creative yeah. work. You your know, brain gets like, fried and your ears yeah, get fried. Three or four hours and it's like, whew. Yeah. Um, but then I have to be really aware of what's on the horizon and and maybe I need to do some outreach or some prospecting or yeah. like take a filmmaker to lunch and yeah, sure. you know, see if there's any things that I'm kinda missing because as freelancers we we do have to be savvy and mm-hmm. I'm not great about throwing myself out there and like pitching myself hard. Yeah. Um, but I'm good at being one on one with people and having yeah. lunch and chatting and listening and you know. Um, so I feel like that's something I have to keep making myself do because it's not easy to do. No, and, and it's I'd not rather like a, that type of it isn't natural. You know, social things can be natural, yeah. but like the kind of like let's make something happen. Yeah, at least for me, is not natural. No, yeah, it's not. It's not. But you know, I'm home for dinner and I'm home. I sleep in my own bed. Yeah, I travel like maybe four times a year, mm-hmm. and then when I do, it's. I love to sit on an airplane and just sort of be off. Yep. Get a little um, space. Mm-hmm. Breaks up the, book the normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then weekends, are I'm pretty much dad. I mean, I might, like, I'll play out with, so so there's a handful of young artists that my studio mate, bandmate, Matt, and mm-hmm. myself have been working with, either producing or co-writing with, or he'll produce a full length, and I'll come in and play keys on it. And, yeah, And yeah. then sort of maybe do some writing with that artist. And there's a there's two or three of them that I'm really quick to say yes to play a gig around town. Yeah, right. So they'll do showcase or five spot night or basement thing yeah. and I'll sit in and do keys with them. And that's that scratches the itch of like yeah. playing out and live music and like being in a band still. Right. So that that gives me a little bit of that and um I've I've had months where I've said yes to too many of those, and I was right. like, "Dang it! I feel like I'm on the road again." Right, and right. So I have to be careful with the frequency of that. Because those love. take a lot of time because there's more prep. Whereas there's rehearsals, like it's only yeah, whatever you show you're up. doing. Yeah, 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 that's right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so it sounds like it kind of just very like same with I would I would expect it's just a a matter of the week, and your your wife sounds like the same thing. It's like. You could have two weeks that are insane, and you have like two little one-offs. So it's like you're constantly working until you're traveling, yeah. and then you're back, you know. And then you can have probably a week where you have a couple of days where you get to do like full day of exploration musically. Yeah, it does sound. It's so it feels bad to be like I should be able to go in and work eight hours, like doing music because like someone can work a 10 hour day mm-hmm. building a house yeah and you're like they're doing that and i can't sit it but then it really if it's creative if you want to make something that is yeah. worth being a part of yeah it really you like you only have so much juice in a day you can't you can't pretend like you have more and you can but you 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 better make that it, might, it has to be like editing or something monotonous yeah that's if right you're gonna, if yeah. you're gonna really push through yeah i agree and, and get that out yeah so that and that i, I you know that was something i had to just learn by doing it because I hadn't, mm-hmm. I hadn't sat in a studio and created for more than, you yeah. know, or if we were cutting a record with the band, it's like, 
everybody takes turns right. and you step out for a bit and you yeah you're like well i don't need they don't need me for four hours yeah. and then go yeah do whatever um so one thing i like to i'm starting to try to incorporate into kind of my mold as far as what i like to ask in this is is one of the especially pertaining to like music and the journey with that something that's one of one of the harder moments that you've kind of learned something from yeah because it seems to be in life where we tend to find Mm -hmm. the most learning would be so whether it be from the travel or from something that stands out as like this was a tough thing uh that that i can you know that i feel comfortable sharing that was Mm -hmm. transformative to me in some way yeah if anything jumps out i think in some so for me in some ways and this is um it's not super personal, but it's like it's complicated because I don't regret any of the band. Yeah. Um, it was costly, you know. It was costly for me as a father and husband. Yeah. Because it was always in conflict right. with those needs. Yeah. Always sort of like pitting one against the other, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that is just tricky to navigate well. Um, but I think. What was hardest for me was to, you kind of referenced this earlier, but was to come home, c- come home for good from touring at like 40. Right. And be like, well, I have to basically kind of start over now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I have a lot of contacts and I have accolades and yeah, experiences, right. but like, I've never done this by myself before. Right. And I never, my wife was reminding me last night, I never said... I'm going to be a producer after Jars of Clay. Like, I never believed that I could do it, yeah. you know? Because we would often say, like, well, if you weren't doing Jars of Clay, what would you do? Or after this yeah. ride is over, what will you find like yourself after, doing? And, yeah, after. We'll always do this. Yeah, So, right. <laughs> you know, coming home, and that's why I went to the marketing job and was kind of like, I just need, like, it was a, the last few years were super thin yeah, for Jars. Right. And uh, I was like, I just need, like, a monthly check that my wife and I can count on. Yep. I need to be around for my kids. We just need to like come down and kind of like breathe. Yeah. Almost totally. like PTSD. Like, yeah, we just need to like unwind from all the years of kind of a lot of survival mode. Yeah. So, you know, so part of me is like, man, if we could have done that at like 32, mm-hmm. you know, and not like maybe before the tail end of the setting up your own stuff. Yeah. Head, driving your own van. Or yeah. Whatever. And when it was, you know, when, like, doing music for film and TV was kind of, like, a new thing. Or, yeah. like, because I feel like when I started it, it was, like, a lot of the companies I talked to would tell me, well, our roster's really full. Like, your stuff sounds sounds good, but, like, we can't take more people. Yeah, you know? right. So it was almost like I was coming in as, like, this new guy, and I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm really excited now. Well, like, you're a little late to the game, man. Right, right. <laughs> There's a lot of people ahead of you in line. Yeah. So that, I mean, you know, in some ways that probably just forced me to get a little scrappier mm-hmm. and be like, all right, well, I'm going to I'm gonna score this short film then for this guy, and it doesn't pay that much, but I think, yeah, right. I think it's going to show me if I have what it takes. Yeah. And it's a contact, and it's maybe it'll lead to new work. So, right. like, really had to um, say yes to... Everything I could say yes to, except for touring, right? Which is what I feel like my mantra has been for two years. Like, yeah, just say yes. Like I did music for an NPR podcast party. Okay, where I was like 
providing like background ambient and oh, sound effects cool. to this podcast reading. Yeah. And I had a blast. It was awesome. But like, just diff- like a year or two ago, I would not have said yes to that. Right. You know, like, I, like that's not I what I do. That? Right. But you're basically, it's basically composing and scoring, mm-hmm. you know, and listening and, and interacting. So I feel like for anyone freelance that's like wanting to do more and wanting to learn, say yes, unless it's just... Unless it's touring. <laughs> unless it's touring or unless it, it's, you feel like it makes you compromise. Yeah, yeah. If you it's are, not in your funnel of what or, you want Or yeah, doing, it's just yeah. completely not you. Yeah, yeah. But if you can bend and like make it work and meet some people and get a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're sitting at home like clean on your floor right then say yes yeah yeah and there's uh like you like you're i think insinuating because like you when you're doing jars you couldn't be saying yes to a lot of things right and so life at certain different points dictates and for you because you're starting quote unquote over yeah in the in these few years mm-hmm. you're having to do in a way what i've been having to do the last few years and then you figure out you figure out your pillars or your your uh, your funnel or your yeah. uh, silos and then you start orchestrating around that potentially mm-hmm. as you get too busy um but yeah it, there is a time to be saying yes to everything there's a time to then be like learning the art of saying no yeah which is funny because there's like especially in the entrepreneurial world there's all these books about like Say yes to everything. That's what's holding you back. Right. And then there's a book that's the exit. You did how to say no and yeah. the art of how you're that's doing make too you, much. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's arguments for both, but I think both of those, for the sake of branding, are missing the point that mm. like there's a there's three years for saying yes to everything, and then mm-hmm. there's whatever many years for like well I can't. They, yeah. It wouldn't be beneficial. And when if and when you get there, yeah. And, and I feel like I I feel like each month is. A different scenario sure. you know like yeah. october my october is so full i can't say yes to anything more right. which is awesome and that's probably because i said yes to, to, to a bunch of things i might not have right you know if i didn't have to just find stuff mm-hmm. so i feel like it's it ebbs and flows oh, yeah. and there will be another season coming up probably january or february right. where i'm like classic yes mode yeah <laughs> yes months i'll do it yeah what, what it, i'll do it yeah right what yes hello please uh the what was i gonna say the yeah and 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 i think because those two get pinned against each other you lose exactly what you're saying which is that nuance to be able to say even if i'm in a phase that is a is 90 percent no mode i still need to be introducing for the sake of my future Mm -hmm. a few yeses Mm -hmm. because otherwise my world becomes four things and those become isolated unless they're yeah. inherently the nice thing about this podcast is that if i buckle down and said i'm only doing this podcast for the next year because of its design i'm inherently expanding my network mm-hmm. by doing that um but a lot of things don't necessarily expand your network yeah. by buckling down on them and some people if you tell them no two or three times they're they probably won't done. call you anymore yeah right they've got other people which makes sense yeah. it doesn't feel it's one it's just a waste of time at a certain point if you assume a no mm-hmm. and also like just uh, on a personal level you never even when it's completely non-personal mm-hmm. and you get no's you're just kind of like no, i didn't like the no's much yeah. as the yeses yeah that's right i'm gonna find the yeses yeah um yeah no i think that's that's great it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um well the, i like to wrap up because we're already uh hitting an hour um there were a bunch of other things that i that i that we could have gone with but this has been great um I like to hit on 
what 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 kind of you see next projecting just five to ten years mm-hmm. just for sake of curiosity um and then we'll hit uh kind of broad advice and whatever you would give to whoever at any phase you know mm-hmm. that you think your advice would go towards and then uh, end with a favorite performance moment so cool. first is just what you see in five ten years either goals or just guesses of of where you'd like to be especially now that you're kind of like you're saying at this beginning of a new yeah. phase yeah um wh- what would you like to see in the next five to ten years yeah, which is which is interesting because two years ago I wouldn't have seen myself here. Mm-hmm. So it's like well, you don't know where the yeses will necessarily take you. That's true. Yeah, I think some more scoring opportunities would be really fun. I did a a series of ads for a hospital mm-hmm. over the summer, and it took five or six weeks. felt It felt like a big job. I'm sure there are bigger jobs. Sure. Um, and I brought in a couple players, some, some strings and some guitar work and then uh, most of the rest I did on my own. But, um, I think doing more of that and yeah. just learning more about scoring and, um, and pairing with film, yeah. you know, is intriguing and feels like, feels interesting to me, but, but like, it's not, it's not my sweet spot, Yeah, but it could be more of, um, I really like collaborating with singers and artists. So mm-hmm. I think I'm getting ready to, or I just started really this week producing, my first project with an artist. Okay, cool. So I think I'd like to do more of that. Um, we'll see if I feel that way in two months from now right. after it's it's over, but I, I'm expecting it to be a great experience. Yeah. Well, then you're learning what you like, you know, when you and what you don't like, what you start saying more yeses to. Or yeah. It's just, yeah. They inform each other. Yeah, you can't learn it unless you really give it a shot. That's right. More critiques so, towards the notebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, that's about all I can imagine, yeah. you know, yeah. um, which feels like a lot, feels great. And yeah. And it'll be just by design, most likely some other things because yeah. you're, exp- you know, you're finding what you, what you want to be doing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so then I guess advice wise, you hit on, on good advice as far as, uh, what you were saying right before that, but if you have anything that is like your you know, consolidated gold nugget from 20 plus yeah. years of experience in this business. Um, what would that, what would that be? Probably just the idea of treating people kindly mm-hmm. and giving them the benefit of the doubt and being someone who's at least making the effort to be someone who's flexible and easy to work with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really value those qualities in other people, and I think um, the... I mean, obviously, there's there's times when you have to say hard things right. or be critical or make, make some harsh calls, you yeah. know? Um, but I think the whole process and the music you're making and the enjoyment along the way only goes up when you when you find those people yeah. and when you, when you, when you work hard to be kind and, mm-hmm. and fair and, you know, see eye to eye. Yeah. Cause of the, f- I mean, I, from, I think, I think you can make a good argument for the enjoyment is the process. Mm-hmm. And if the process is filled with people that take that away, then you're kind of left with like, well, I hope it's fun when we finish this project and see people react. Cause that's all you have left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then one of your favorite, 
performance woman doesn't have to be the favorite, but uh, something that jumps out maybe from over the years that yes. was maybe a soul fest. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was. our biggest moment like that was, and it was just like a pinch yourself thing. Mm. Pinch yourself, not Pinterest. Pinterest yourself. Self. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> um, we played this event in what year was it? It's called Live Aid. Okay. And Live Eight? Live Live Eight, which was a spin-off of Live Aid. Okay. And it was on the steps in Philadelphia and it was Bono it was one of Bono's one oh, campaign cool. yeah. um events and there were a million people on the streets of Philadelphia and they had like what do they call them? The staggered speakers mm-hmm. um and screens and it just went for miles, people in it. So we yeah. played like after Def Leppard and before Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. And the Black Eyed Peas were getting dressed backstage. And yeah. Dave Matthews was at Kate. It was just like everyone in pop music was yeah, there. totally. And it was all cause-related. And we'd been doing some, still do, but at that time we had just started a nonprofit in Africa. Okay. And so we, we were, you know, we're talking about AIDS in Africa. And we're like, well, we were there six weeks ago. And it just felt like we had a voice yeah. there that maybe it wasn't all about, like, we played, like, three acoustic songs, yeah, right. you know, before Sarah McLaughlin or whatever, which was cool. But, like, to be there and have a voice and, and be able to talk about an issue that is close to our hearts. Was, yeah, you weren't just up there like, yeah, it's great to, to help people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and a lot of people help. were, you know, yeah. like, we're here for a great cause. And right. like, we don't know why we're here. But but you felt like you were there. You musically were happy to be there. And you also felt like from the cause you were, you belonged. Yeah. You, you had something to add. Had something to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. That was a good one. That's a good combination. The adrenaline of, of a million people combined <laughs> with feeling like you're supposed to be there. Yeah. Probably helps. Cool. Um, well, perfect. Is there where do you uh, want to point people as far as websites or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I have a website that's hollowhum.com. Yeah, um, and I just that's just basically a like that pulls together like my Spotify link. Yeah, a playlist I made of stuff I love, my SoundCloud streams, like some poems I like. It's just kind yeah. of a random like mishmash of like. Here's who I am in a nutshell. Yeah. Perfect. So that's a good that's a good space. You know, cool. it's, I'm, not I'm on all the everything else. streaming socials and all that stuff. But. Perfect. Well, awesome. I appreciate uh, having you on. You taking the time and uh, saying yes and not no. <laughs> Thank so. you for having me. Yeah. Yeah.